The reading today is from 1 Corinthians verse 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through to 13. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to have something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge, since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak, for if others see you, who possess knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is the cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I might not cause one of them to fall. Here ends reading. Thanks be to God. Uh, in the 1 Corinthians setting, uh, there were many gods, many idols, many uh, statues that were worshipped. And so we would have looked at the time in Corinth and said idolatry was rife. Uh, they would look at us now and say, your idolatry is worse. <laughs> uh, we don't worship little wooden statues. Some people do, but for the most part, we don't worship uh, little wooden statues. Uh, we often worship people. Uh, we worship, worship ways of thinking. Uh, when you think of idolatry, you're looking at two things. You're, you're looking at uh, something some, or someone uh, for the source of prosperity in life, and then you're also looking uh, so, so a God who is the source, and you're also looking to a Lord that someone who gives you direction in life. So idolatry looks like uh, having a source of prosperity and a, a direction giver. So for some people, idols are uh, people. Uh, this is my guru. This is the person that I follow. We idolize a particular person. Uh, young kids will often look up to pop stars and dress in the same way, uh, eat the same things, do the same things, all of life shaped by uh, this person as a, as a Lord that gives direction. Uh, some people will say, well, me, 
myself, I'm my own idol. I, I'm building myself up to be the best possible version of, of myself. And so everything in life is, is about lifting me high. And I am the source of my prosperity in the future. If, I, if you don't prosper, it's your fault. Uh, and so we become our own idol. And so in the world we live, there's lots of different idols. Uh, in Melbourne, Australia, sport is, is very much a, an idol. Uh, life is directed. Uh, prosperity looks like following uh, this god of football. Uh, life is going well when your, your team wins. Uh, we can identify an idol often by... Uh, when life is, is going well uh, and we're following that thing, uh, we're happy. When life is not going well and that thing's not working out, we're, we're not happy. Or if that thing is taken away from us, what brings us joy that's physical is taken away from us, then that can often be an idol. Something that we couldn't do without can be an idol. Uh, anything that's exalted above God can be an idol. And last week we, we looked at uh, how uh, the sign that we're part of God's family is that we are led by the Spirit of God and that all are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Uh, and so we said, well, as a church family, we make it our aim to please Him by being led by the Spirit of God. And so that's what it means to be part of the family of God. So in the context of this passage, uh, what's the sign that you're part of God's family? Well, you hold to core beliefs. So it's not just that you are led by the Spirit of God, it's that we share in core beliefs together. We celebrate our unity. When Jesus prayed that uh, we will become one as a church, it was unity and faith that we would follow the one true God. That would be unified in relationship, but also unified with who we are in relationship with. In, in John 6, uh, they ask, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answers, the work of God is this. Believe in the one that he has sent. Believe in the one that he has sent. Uh, the, the, the greatest thing that we can do is to have Faith, before you're even led by the Spirit, having faith in God is what saves you, what includes you as part of the family of God. And so we, we make it our aim to please Him by being led by Him. We make it our aim to please Him and follow the one He sent. Uh, we make it our aim to please Him by knowing who we're following. It, it's one thing to say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but you need to know who you're following. Uh, but we also need to, know, need to know to whom we are going. And so for Christians through the age, we have sought to clarify what it is that we would have unity in faith, what it is that we believe so that we can be on the same page. Uh, in Ephesians, we hear uh, early creedal statements like this, uh, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one hope. Uh, when you are called, we're called to... There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, so a shared hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So one Lord, one God, one 
faith. We share one faith. One baptism, why do we say one baptism? Uh, historically, people go, I'm not sure if I'm really saved. Maybe I should get baptized again and then I'll be saved. And so we say one baptism because your baptism is a symbol of God's um, blessing on your life, your inclusion. It's a visible symbol of a spiritual reality. And so we don't say get rebaptized because you, know, you look back to your one baptism as your symbol of your inclusion in faith, where you make declarations of faith. Uh, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So this is an early creedal statement we see in Ephesians 4. Uh, and so we can, as Christians, look to that and say, yes, this is our faith. This is what we're gathering around. But what happened as the church grew is that Christians began to receive different letters and they were trying to piece it all together and come up with, what is it that we actually believe? And most of the leaders could tell you, and most of them were on the same page, but for the basic Christian, they, they needed to have an understanding of who it is that they believed in and, and what made this belief distinctive in a world that was full of idolatry. And so for us in a world like we live in today, where idolatry is even more rife than it was back then, we need clarity on what we believe. Why is this? Because we need to know who we are following uh, we need to follow the one that has been sent to us. We, we need to know to whom we are going. We, we need to know the, the character. We need to understand who it is, is our God. And so the, the creed that fills that role uh, is the Nicene Creed. East and West, uh, every uh, faith, Christian faith, believes in the Nicene Creed. You, you, you may get slight distinctives on the Apostles' Creed. There's East and West, no distinctive. Everyone agrees with the Nicene Creed. Well, why, is it, why is it important that we believe in one God? Uh, do you know a world with many gods is a really anxious world because you really need to find out which one is the one that you need to please in order to get the result that you want. If you work in a workplace and you have 10 different managers, it's really difficult to know how to keep them all happy. It's hard enough when you have one manager to keep them happy. Uh, so it's a more simple world to, to have one God. In the Corinthian world, they were looking for the one to offer sacrifices to in order to prosper in life. Uh, in life, in our current age, at some level we look to... What can we offer sacrifice to in order to prosper in life? Uh, and so we, we hold up this creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Uh, for, for them, uh, there was many gods and different gods were sources of different things. For us, we're saying there is one God who is the source of all creation and life, all that is seen and unseen. Uh, one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, that is, uh, Jesus has been and always will be. He was not the created one. And, and so in, in here, we, we have what is the doctrine of the Trinity. And now in the Nicene Creed, we, we don't see these words, the Trinity, do, do we? But in Scripture, we don't see the words, the Trinity, but that is one of the ways of describing uh, the God whom we follow. 
And so, so we see it here, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. Uh, so showing the unity of an expression that is uh, with, with multiple gods, when you don't know who to please, uh, you need to figure out which one to please. If God is one, there is no disunity. And so there is a uniqueness to our faith. We're not trying to find one to please. I've shared about it before. The fact that God is three is good news. Uh, if someone is one, uh, they're looking for another to fulfill that gap because there is only one. If someone is two, it's an exclusive relationship. They're, they're, there's not really much room for anyone else and you're being invited into something exclusive. If God is three... That's good news because God knows how to do relationship with more than one other. And we're included in family, the family of God. And so that's the image that we're given. And we can't come to that image with a mechanical, uh, <laughs> this is how it works from human understanding, looking from down up. We're, we need to hear what Scripture says, that God is one, God is three, God is unified. And we don't need to resolve everything in a mathematical way but we get clarity through scripture that this is who god is and i, I don't know about you but i want to follow a god uh, who doesn't fit inside the box of my mind yet is with understanding so as much as you seek to understand the unity of god you will discover more as you seek to discover the individual individuality of jesus the son god the father and the Holy Spirit, you will discover more. There is personality. That is why there is three persons in one. And so this is some of our faith, what we declare and find unity around. Uh, it's, it's important because it defines the way that we relate to him and our confidence in him. It, it then in the Nicene Creed begins to speak about uh, our salvation. So it's the key doctrines uh, the, that he was incarnate of the Holy Spirit, that he's not Joseph's son, he's not a man like anyone else. Jesus was the God-man, born of the Holy Spirit, to the Virgin Mary, uh, the, that is, there was no doubt, uh, and he became truly human, that is, God took on flesh. The eternally begotten, so eternally pre-existent God before all time, took on flesh, became as one of us. See, for, for the God's, of the one Corinthian world, they were distant, uncaring, uh, flippant in the, in the way that they uh, played out life. And so God is presented as distinct, reliable, uh, unchanging in nature. Uh, Jesus, uh, the, the one that has, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered death and he was buried, rose uh, that is, conquered death. And so these are key parts of our faith, key things that we would say we believe. We, we may disagree on other things, but these are the key things that we believe to be called Christians. Uh, we have a hope in the future that Jesus will come again. Uh, his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit. In some ways, our modern church, uh, in a uh, post-enlightenment world uh, where we have naturalized everything has discarded the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, as we say in the Creed, is an equal member of the Trinity. And so that is we celebrate that God is unseen and at work and lives in us. And the Holy Spirit being equal is worshipped and glorified. 
That is, it's not Jesus and God the Father and a force that comes from them. Actually, the Holy Spirit, who can be grieved, has personality, is an equal member of the Trinity. Uh, when we say God is one, it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we have the three persons, it's that God wants to express himself, not in different modes. And so there's a, another heresy that creeds have sort of worked out through the age, but in different ways. So three ways in which God expresses himself to us and there's no you, you know sometimes people say h it's like h2o you can get ice you can get water and you can get steam uh, but it doesn't work <laughs> that's the it's not a perfect illustration the perfect illustration is a family that's the one that we're given uh, that's the communication god has shown us in order to, and what he's invited us into so when we're included in the family by the holy spirit the holy spirit sweeps us up into the family of God. This is what we share in faith together. That, that it was uh, spoken through the prophets. This is a faith that is not new. It is fulfilled in Jesus. It is spoken of the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic. Catholic means universal. It's not capital C. An apostolic church. Uh, acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And so this, this is our faith as Christians who believe. Often in life we can say things and they don't affect us. You can say to someone who oh, says, I don't know if you, you even care about me. Oh, no, 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 I care about you. And you can say it because it's the right thing to say. But there's a difference between saying it uh, because it's the right thing to say and saying it because you mean it. Uh, a confession of faith is not just something that we're called to say because it's the right thing to say because this is what we as Christians believe. Actually, the, the God who we hear about in the Nicene Creed is the God that we as Christians are called to get a deeper revelation of throughout our Christian faith. As we look to him as the source of life for eternity, so no other idols, and when we look to him, we see him as the one that fulfills what we can look to everything else for. As we look to him as the one who leads us in direction, we understand that these things are important. What we say about God is important because it will affect the way that we live our life. What are your greatest earthly comforts? How about you share with the, the, a person near you? What, what is your greatest earthly comfort? Greatest earthly... Does anyone want to call out uh, an earthly comfort? I heard chocolate in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, companionship. A ro yeah, comfort, that's, that's good. If it doesn't have holes and... Yeah. Yes, the, there's lots of things that we look to for comfort. I, 
I was really careful in saying, what are your greatest earthly comforts? Because I didn't want to say, what are your greatest earthly treasures? Because often we'll say people. But what do we look to for comfort? This is the idolatry question. This gets to our heart. Would we leave it all behind to follow Jesus as led by the Holy Spirit? That's the question that should challenge our heart. Now, you know, you'll probably leave chocolate behind. <laughs> That's not a hard one. But if there's something in life, and you know, God's, God's not going to go, oh, well, you're married, but I'm wanting you to leave behind your marriage. Or <laughs> God cares about what's important to us. God treasures our hopes and our dreams, but sometimes he calls us to leave behind things that aren't to be included in our future. And when we say, God, no, this, this roof over my head, <laughs> uh, this thing, I, I can't leave it behind. We know in that moment that that thing has become an idol for us. And if I don't believe that God has better plans uh, for my future than I do, <laughs> I'm going to need to cling on to that thing because I don't trust that he's good for me. See, that's where faith is real. When we look at the Nicene Creed and we say we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, the source of everything, and then we say, no, God, I won't leave that behind to follow you. We say, actually, I don't believe that. <laughs> and so there's this continuing challenge we experience and this continuing point at which God presses our button and says, would you leave this for me? Because I've got good prepared for you. And as Christians, we're willing to leave behind the things of this world because we know that God is preparing greater things for us uh, because we know the character of God as well. He's, he's not the mean manager that's got a job in the back of Western Australia with, in a town of two people uh, who wants to send us there because he wants to punish us. No, no, we, we know and have clarity around our faith because we know the character of our God who is love, created us from love. It's not like the many gods of the Corinthian world is, is distinct. And we, we hear that there is one way, and so we have clarity rather than anxiety around, am I following the way of faith? Yeah, I, am I following Jesus? Am I led by the Holy Spirit? We're not anxious because we're not looking, who do I please? How do I get there? We trust. So how do we exclusively follow Jesus in a pluralistic world? Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 has some, some great tips for us. It is, like all other passages in the Bible, not the complete picture. Uh, Paul here in 1 Corinthians is arguing against uh, certain points. But he doesn't in 1 Corinthians 8 present his full argument. And so you'll see in 1 Corinthians 8 that he, he talks about gods who are not actually gods. Uh, but you don't want to miss when he talks in 1 Corinthians 10 uh, about uh, the demonic relationship between the worship of other gods 
and following them. That is, when he talks about there's no other gods, all all these idols are are not gods in comparison to the one true God. He's making a comparison for, for clarity. But actually, there are spiritual realities in the world that we live in. And so he, so he says at the end that, well, you, you can eat anything, but in, 10, in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, well, actually, food offered to idols, don't eat it. And, and so we need to read scripture in, in this sort of context, but what can we get from 1 Corinthians 8? Uh, we, can, we can hear uh, verse 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. And so in the Corinthian world, there's many gods, many ways, many secrets to success in life. (laughs) For them, they needed to learn what true knowledge was about. True knowledge is about growing to love God and uh, being known by him. That is, when when you know God, you, you love him. Because you can't love what you do not know. And so Jesus is the image of our invisible God, the greatest revelation. And so we grow in our love for God as we look to Jesus and see all that God has done. Uh, So as we know God, we grow to love him because we see his faithfulness towards us. We see his grace and his mercy, his kindness, continuing his work, not just in the past, but in our lives day by day as we are led by the Spirit, we, we know that we are loved by Him. And when we love Him, uh, we, in our loving of Him, we discover that we are known and loved by Him. Uh, the second song that we, we sang, uh, All People on Earth who, who do, That Do Dwell, a great song. Sing to the Lord with a cheerful voice. Uh, great words. These are things that we can know. And you might say, oh, Randall, it's so good that we had a hymn as our second song. It was the hymn that really nailed it. That's, you could hear it in the congregation. I have a separate argument for you. Actually, it was the Holy Spirit who was present in that second song, working, and as we were praising God, reminding us that we are known and loved by him. If you felt a, a sense of encouragement in any way, in your spirit, uh, sometimes I experience that through a, just a tingling through my whole body, uh, that he is here and he is real and that you are known and that you are loved. If you experienced any of that as we sang that song, it's not that we sang a hymn, it's that he was communicating that to you. Now, we all experience and know the love of God in different ways. Uh, through song is one of those ways as we celebrate in joy together. Uh, but... We're called to know God and be known and loved by him and to understand that that is a true reality in this world. Uh, so, And the third thing we learn from uh, 1 Corinthians 8 is that our world is filled with so-called gods and we can't live as if there is no distinction. Or it says uh, we, we sin against uh, the, the person that we represent this belief to. Now, when we don't live out in faith as Christians and we live celebrating the idols of the rest of the world, we live as if there is no distinction. And we're called to be distinct people. 
Jesus uh, says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Uh, it's really easy in a pluralistic world to say there's multiple faiths, there's multiple ways to God, but Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That is our faith. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a really challenging thought. That there is no other gods. Because if Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, there, there can be no other way, no other gods. He is the one way. He is the distinct one. Now, either Jesus was God, which we declare as, as Christians, or he wasn't. And if he is, he's either told us a lie or he's told us the truth. And so part of being a Christian is allowing knowledge uh, to direct our steps. So that's why we turn to Scripture. Before our heart has arrived, before we've heard from the Spirit, we turn to Scripture and we learn the history of the God who has always been. We see how God has directed his people as the church has been established and we listen to the imperatives that are direct us in this world and we share the faith that has always been. Uh, a big trend in the last 50 years has been to change things that have been almost set in stone for uh, thousands of years prior. And we can just assume because something is the most recent thing, it is the most right thing. Uh, I do it myself. I look for a new book on something. <laughs> and you probably do the, the, the same. And there is new knowledge. Uh, but because we can come to new understanding and because the old truths can be expressed in new ways doesn't mean things have changed. And so the creed has stood the test of time. It continues to stand the test of time. And so when we want to declare our faith, we, we use things like the, the creed, uh, but then we live in ways that reflect that the creed is true. And we live distinctively in this world. And we, we don't want anyone to believe that for a minute that we think that there's lots of different gods and lots of different ways because we believe in one true God and one way and we want them to know that way because we know the one who is love and we know his love and we want to communicate and them to share in that love and to be wrapped up in that love and so we gather to encourage each other in this faith. Sometimes on Sunday, sermons are about things that we need to do. Uh, sometimes on Sundays, there's things that we need to know. What you need to know is that God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he loves and cares for you and that he calls you at his own, as his own. He includes you and he wants more people to be gathered, that they would share in faith and know eternity in him. So if our one goal for 2023 is to make it our aim to please him, we talked about being led by the Spirit, but there's, there's something, something greater. You, you, you won't actually want to follow the Holy Spirit unless you recognize the, the treasure of who God is. And so if you want to make it your aim to please God in 2023... Let's make it our aim to discover our greatest treasure in him.
And we get to do that together as we invest time in understanding him and following him and delighting in him.